in the 23rd Psalm. When I was a boy, I remember thinking my dad was the coolest dad in the world. I don't know if, if you guys had a similar experience with your father. He was the head football coach of North Little Rock High School. And uh, he would often let me go with him down to the school. And when he would go, he would always put this huge ring of keys on his belt, you know. I mean, it was like, it was like massive. And of course, to me, as a little boy, this was really amazing. There was no door my father could not unlock. Amen. And uh, so he had these keys and we would go down to the school. And if I wanted to play in the gym, Dad, I'd like to play in the gym. No problem. Dad, I'd like to uh, go down to the equipment room. I'd like to, you know, play with the blocking tackles and the, and the, and, and the dummies. No problem. Call me Jimmy Jr. No problem, Jimmy Jr. I'll let you in. Dad, I want to go to the workout room. I want to jump on the trampoline. No problem. I got the key. Not only did Dad have the key, he had the authority, right? <laughs> so, he had the key and the authority. Dad, I want to go play on the football field in the, in the middle of that huge, empty stadium. He had the key. He could just let me go in. Sometimes, people that worked around the school and maybe they didn't know who I was, they would catch me playing in a place that no young child should be playing by themselves and they would inquire, why are you here? How did you get in here? Why are you in this restricted area? Right? And I would simply say, I'm Jimmy Jr. My dad is the head football coach here at the school and everything was cool, right? Everything was okay. Because I was my father's son. Everything was okay. In my very, very small world as a little boy who just wanted to play, my earthly father, he held every key and he had all the authority. In my boyish imagination, there were no limitations with him. If we were at the school, and I love sports, you know, the athletic department was my domain because my father had every key and my father had the authority. Not only that, he had the kindness toward me to let me in. So in my very, very grown-up world, as a man who really wants to live his faith huge, my heavenly Father holds every key. And He holds all the authority. As an adult, I've learned that there are no limitations in living the Christian life huge. Because our God is God. <laughs> and He has all the keys. We're not locked out of any place. The cosmos is ours. The cosmos is ours. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. I can live my faith huge because I'm my heavenly Father's Son. Amen? The same is true for every Christian in this room. You have no excuse. You have no excuse for living your faith small and being timid in the world. You are your heavenly Father's son or daughter. So, my father was the head football coach of the North Little Rock Charging Wildcats. And it was very cool. My heavenly Father, 
is God. And it is very awesome. As a boy, I learned that my earthly father had the keys to the gym and the equipment room and the workout room and the football field. And as a man, I've learned that my God has all the keys in life and in death. And the 23rd Psalm talks about a number of these. And let me just prepare you as we begin to go through the Psalm verse by verse. Our Heavenly Father has the keys to experiencing temporal and spiritual contentment and rest. Verses 1 and 2. Our Father has the keys to, to knowing the exhilaration of righteous living, of walking on the right path, the path of life. We have the key. He's given us the key to that exhilaration. Our Heavenly Father has given us the key to possess courage in the face of extreme trial, even in the face of death. That's verse 4. Our Heavenly Father has given us the key to absolute confidence in the face of our enemies. Verse 5, And our great God has given us the key to unqualified assurance of our eternal inheritance. That's verse 6. It's what David is talking about in this psalm. We have license. It's what we talked about last week. We have license to live huge and die well. Our Father has every key and no door is locked to us. As we talked about last week in Psalm 16, we have no limitations because He's God. We have no fear in life. If we do have fear as a Christian, we need to be surrendering that to God. If you like to Hold on to your fear. That's, I guess that's your choice. You don't have to. Your God's bigger than whatever it is you fear. But we don't have to fear anything in life. We don't have to fear anything in death. Our God holds every key in life and death. We are to be fearless in the world. We are to be fearless in our relationships. We are to be fearless in our giving. We are to be fearless in our serving the body of Christ. We are to be fearless in our ministry. We're to be fearless at the workplace. We're to be fearless in the university. We are sons and daughters of the King. We don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone. This liberty, freedom, and license that we have in being the adopted children of God is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 8.15. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you this text from um, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. I love this paraphrase of Romans 8.15. Eugene Peterson says, listen to this, this resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. Did you hear it? It's not a timid, grave-tending life. We're not just waiting to die. We're not just doing our time. We're here to do something. God's left us here to do something. You know what that is, right? What did He leave you here to do? To have a great career, make a bunch of money, hoard it up, and have a lot of fun. That's what we're here to do, principally, right? I know that's that's what a lot of preachers like to preach these days. We're here to be disciples. We're here. We're here to make much of Jesus. Eugene Peterson continues, This life is adventurously expectant. Don't you love it? Is that characteristic of your Christianity? 
Are you adventurously expectant, greeting God every day with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Don't you love that? What's next, Papa? I love that. I love that, uh, that paraphrase. Is that how you deal with God? We cry, Abba, Father, right? He's our Father. What's next, Papa? What's next? I know it's going to be awesome. It might be hard, but ultimately it'll be awesome because He's with us in it. Again, as we talked about last week, we have childlike freedom in every circumstance. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, because our God goes with us. As we talked about last week, as El Shaddai's sons and daughters, whether in great blessing or great trial, whether in abundance or loss, gladness or grief, jubilation or sorrow, we cry out to our Father, Abba, Father. It's Romans chapter 8. So in the 23rd Psalm, David is using the shepherd sheep metaphor for God and His people. But the ultimate meaning and parallels are synonymous with the father-child relationship that I'm talking about presently. God, of course, is our shepherd, but the Bible goes deeper, right? He's not merely a shepherd to a bunch of sheep. He is our Father, which is infinitely deeper and more profound than the sheep-shepherd metaphor. One more observation before I get into the verses. Um, This is a very personal psalm of David. He doesn't use the words we, us, and they. He uses the words my, me, and I. This is David's experience with God, and I hope and pray that it's your experience with God. Most scholars believe David writes this in his old age. He's walked down many a path with God, and he's found God to be sufficient in every path. He's found that God has the key that unlocks every door. So I think this is true that David wrote this later in life. Verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you want? I noticed that Elorm, I don't know what translation he had, but his translation is a little better than mine here. Uh, the best translation of the Hebrew word here is lack. It's that I do not lack. You know, there can be very selfish definitions of want. But David says, I do not lack. And of course, David, who knew all too well the rigors and the costs and the dangers of being, especially in ancient times, of being a shepherd, he learned this about God, that God is a shepherd to His people. You may or may not know much about sheep. You probably do. It takes an absolute commitment to be a shepherd. (laughs) This is not some, you know, casual endeavor. Sheep are arguably the most helpless and, shall we use the word, stupid animals on the face of the planet. If you don't guide them to food and water, they will die. They cannot find it on their own. They have no sense. They have no aptitude. They have no ability to go find grass. They'll simply die. They'll simply die, you know, just a few yards, hundred yards from from grass. They'll simply die. 
Same thing is true about water. And they are utterly defenseless against predators. If they are not protected, they will be slaughtered. Do you see why the Lord uses this metaphor? <laughs> For Christians, apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, we are spiritual prey. Amen? So I love that David, David who was a shepherd, he, he says, my God's like this. My God's like a shepherd. He cares for me. He guides me. He leads me. He protects me. I love this. I think this is, is beautiful. You may remember when David was convincing Saul to let him go out and fight Goliath. You remember what he told? You know, Saul says, you're a punk kid. You can't go out there. And David said, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear. He was a shepherd. Shepherds put their lives on the line for the sheep. Right? You've got to love this. You gotta love this metaphor. Shepherds put their lives on the line for the sheep. It's who Jesus is. John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And if you do a word study on that word, uh, that Greek word there, it's kalos. Uh, the Greek word that's translated good is the Greek word kalos. It's the word that we use in English to build the word kaleidoscope. So guess what else it means? Not only is He good, He's beautiful. He's not only good, He's beautiful. Some of the other things the, the, the Word connotes, He's excellent, He's imminent, He's precious, He's commendable, He's admirable, He's magnificent, He's competent, He's able, He's praiseworthy, He's noble. That's our shepherd. Shepherd with a capital S. Jesus, you remember what He said in John 10? And this is really... My definition of true conversion, my, my shorthand definition of true conversion. Remember what Jesus says in John 10? He says, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I call my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me. This is true conversion. You know, you could ask 15 theologians, what do I have to do to be saved? You might get 15 different answers. But true Christians, they hear the voice of Christ. They know the voice of Christ and they follow Christ. They don't simply do religion. They follow Christ. Oh, he said one more thing there in chapter 10. Who wants to tell me what it is? He says, of my own initiative, I lay down my life for my sheep, right? No man takes my life. I lay it down of my own initiative for my sheep. This is a powerful metaphor, beloved, in the Word of God. In my background reading, I noticed something quite profound. Several theologians talked about it. That Psalm 23 follows Psalm 22. And I thought, that's great! <laughs> you already knew that, right? I didn't need to tell you this. What's the significance? What is in Psalm 22? Anybody remember? That's right. That's right, Mary. There is, a there is a description of the crucifixion of Jesus. That's our Good Shepherd. Being crucified for us. Saving us. Standing uh, between us and the enemy. The enemy of death and hell and the judgment that we deserve. David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. Again, the obvious point here is not that we will 
have every temporal thing our flesh may desire. The point is that you'll have everything you need. Everything God has determined that you need, you will have it. And what did He leave us here for? To be disciples. And what's God doing in our lives? We will lack no necessary thing in being conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8.29 And we will lack no good thing in the lifelong process of sanctification as God completes the good work He's begun in us. Philippians 1.6 Because really, if you're a Christian tonight, that's really what you want above all things. <laughs> you want to be used of God. Above all things. Above everything else. You want to be used of God. Right? You want to be used up for God. You want to be part of making Jesus famous in the world. That's what the people of God do. It's what we have always done. It's what we are called to do. Psalm 84.11, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I couldn't help. Some of you have been around for the last couple of weeks. You'll, you'll understand. I couldn't help but think of Carrie Tittle, the uh, woman in our home church in Little Rock, Arkansas, who lost her husband and two of her daughters and everything she owned in a tornado three weeks ago. I couldn't help but think of her she can genuinely confess and wholly embrace, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. And the second thing is true because the first thing is true. I didn't say she didn't hurt. And I didn't say she won't be hurting for a long time. But she does not lack anything she needs. God is her consolation in her grief and mourning and sorrow. She does not lack because Jesus is her Good Shepherd. Verse 1, it attacks and destroys. It should attack and destroy anxiety in your life. You call yourself a Christian, are you entertaining anxiety and fear and concern? Undue concern? Yes, some of you are being very honest. That's good. It wells up in all of us, doesn't it? But God says, hey, you're mine. I'm not going to let you lack anything you really need. You may not get everything you want, but you won't lack anything you need according to the Word of God. You remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6? You remember what He said? He says it does a lot of good to be anxious. He says, why... Why? He says, why are you anxious? Why do you worry about your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? Why do you worry about your food? Why do you worry about where you're going to live? My Father knows you need this stuff. Right? That's exactly what He says. My Father knows you need this stuff. He's well aware that you need this stuff. Jesus says, you know, He talks about the birds and the flowers. And he talks about how God provides for the birds and how He clothes the flowers. And then he says an awesome thing. He says, you are, you are worth way much more than the flowers. 
and the birds. Do you, I mean, the bottom line is, do, do you actually believe Him? Do we, do we believe Him when He talks like this? Do we believe God when He talks like this? I love Philippians 4.19. God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ. If you're a Christian tonight, you'll have everything you need from this point to the day you die. This is the promise of God. Do you believe He's a promise keeper? Or do you want to just wring your hands and worry? Some people just like to do it. I, know people, I have people in my life that they just like to do this. They like to spend their time doing this. I think it's wasted effort, man. I don't, I don't think it's fun at all. Yeah, the, the anxiety comes to me and immediately, bam, take it, God. I've learned to do this. I'm a, I'm a, it took me a long time. I'm a slow study. Hopefully you can learn from me. When the anxiety comes, take it, God. Immediately. I don't even have to stop. I just, I'm just walking and I pray. Take it, God. Take it, God. I know I'll have all I need in Your provision. I love how Charles Spurgeon, that 19th century preacher, said it. He said, the Christian is beyond the reach of want for time and eternity. Amen? I love that. Beyond the reach of want. Our God has the key to contentment in this life whether we have much or little. David says it in Psalm 37.16, better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of the wicked. Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It doesn't get any better than this for a sheep, right? <laughs> green pastures and quiet waters. The literal translation is tender grass. That even sounds better. Tender grass. Uh, I can personally relate to this. Uh, this unique structure of the sentence here, God makes me lie down. I can relate. Probably some of you can too. The literal translation is God causes me to lie down. In the late 80s, I was unemployed for an extended period of time. And unemployment is a challenge for a man, any man, particularly when you have a mortgage, a stay-at-home wife, two kids, a dog, a cat, and two finches. I had all this stuff. And it was on me, right? And so the unemployment came. And I can remember I confessed my anxiety to my spiritual mentor. And he said, Jim, do you or your family lack anything in this circumstance? And I said, no, Jim. We don't lack anything. I won't go into it, but the Lord was providing in, 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 a, in a variety of different ways. And then he said... Why are you anxious? I said, because I'm a man and I've got a mortgage and a wife and two kids and a dog and a cat and two finches. He said, Jim, I'll never forget this. It's the best advice any man's ever given me. He said, lie down in that green pasture that God has put you in. He said, you have no lack, right? No, sir. I have no lack. Lay down. Lay down in that green pasture and look at God. And I have to tell you, it was during that six months of unemployment that God confirmed His call to me to preach. It would be many years before that came to fruition, before He brought that to fruition. But during that time, during that time, when all I did was, was lay in that green pasture and look at God, right? <laughs> he confirmed the call to preach to me. 
It was a beautiful six months. And I tell men all the time now when I have the opportunity, I say, don't waste this. Don't waste this with worry. You look at God. You spend time with God. You trust God. Yeah, it was a beautiful six months for me. Most people would say there's no way unemployment could ever be a green pasture. It is. It is. It is. In her book entitled Anything, it's a book that Karen has been reading recently. The author, Jeannie Allen, she quotes a young woman named Rachel from her church and she says this, I've shared this with you before. She says, you have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because really you don't know the difference. You know, when the, when the unemployment came, I thought, man, this is bad. This is real bad. It was real good. God came to me in a brand new way and taught me a freedom that I didn't have. Rachel goes on to say, she says, the hard things in life have given me more of God. Amen? If you've been through a hard thing, you know that that is true. Obviously, sometimes God literally gives us times of plenty and times of physical rest, but sometimes God means to be your plenty and to be your rest. God's your plenty. God is, is your plenty. He means to be that sometimes in your life. He means to be the quiet waters in your life that satisfy you. Verse 3, God restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. A little translation here, and I think, again, in, in Elorm's translation, it, it, was, it was good. He refreshes my soul. <laughs> now, He not only does this in conversion, as we understand from the Bible, that God causes us to be born again by the re regeneration and renewing work of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Peter 1 and Titus 3. God is perpetually doing this in the life of the Christian. He's refreshing our soul. Is your soul dry? Well, that's your fault. That's on you. That's on you, beloved. I lovingly say, that's on you. God awaits you in His Word and He will fill you up with everything you need in His Word. That's why we preach from the Bible. That's why we have women's, women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and young adult Bible studies. That's why Karen's in there probably right now teaching something from the Scripture to our children. Because God reveals Himself to us in this way. Go back to the late 80's for me. In that time that could be very discouraging, God refreshed my soul. <laughs> I found myself exuberant as I spent long hours just with God in the Lord. As a pastor, you know, people are always asking me advice about, about their problems, and I, that's good. I, I do what I can. I, I try to give them concrete advice, concrete steps that can be helpful. But the most important thing I ever tell them. It's Psalm 37, 4 through 5. Delight yourself in God. You got marital problems? Delight yourself in God. You got financial problems? Delight yourself in God. You got a problem with your boss? Delight yourself in God. You're unemployed? Delight yourself in God. You can't see your way clear to what, what tomorrow's going to bring and, and you're afraid? Delight yourself in God. And you know how that verse ends, don't you? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You may not even know what they are yet. 
When I entered unemployment, I didn't know I was going to ever be a preacher. When I came out of unemployment, I knew it. I didn't know when, I just knew it. It was going to happen. I knew God was going to do it. I knew that God... He gave me the desires of, the heart of, the, of my heart that He planted in there. Some of you have desires you don't... These are God desires that He's going to put in your heart. And it's so much fun when you discover them, man. It's just... It's... Um, it's so much fun. And the psalm goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him also and He will do it. So in delighting in God, verse 3 again, He guides us in the paths of righteousness. Namely, the paths that God has created you to walk. Now you can walk another path, but your heart will never be full if you walk this other path. God created you to walk a specific path with Him. You know, when the unconverted ear hears that, the paths of righteousness, they think, well, that's just dead, dry religion. That's some church going and moral rule keeping, right? I mean, the unconverted ear hears that, that word righteousness and, and they, they bow up. They don't really want righteousness. That, righteousness sounds like no fun, right? To the unconverted ear. Righteousness? I don't want to walk that path. That's no fun. Wrong. <laughs> you do. The paths of righteousness, it's what God specifically created and designed you to walk. It's the path God designed for you to walk. It's the, it's the God path. It's not about brain-dead religion. It's not about being a do-gooder. You know, It's not about moral rule-keeping. It's about delighting in God. That's what it's about. You know, the, the unconverted guy, he hears the outside-in stuff the converted man hears the inside-out stuff. It's inside-out stuff. It's what God's planted in here and it's got to come out. It's got to come out. It's the love affair with Jesus. It's the what's next Papa. And did you notice? He guides us into the path of righteousness for His name's sake. I don't know. I may preach this uh, next week because I, I got really off on this. I, have to, I can't... Okay, I don't have very long, but... But you've heard me talk about why, why anything? Why anything? Why everything? What's the short answer? Why anything? Why everything? God. God's the answer. God's the point! I know that mankind doesn't get that. Mankind rejects that. Many Christians, immature Christians, are still working on that. God is the point! He's always the point! It's for His name's sake! All creation, the whole cosmos is for His name's sake. A redeemed people is for His name's sake. It's all about God. God is the point. God is always the point. And you and I have the privilege to walk with Him. It's always about the glory of God. It's always about the glory of God. The cool thing for the believer is God is all about His glory. And you know what that means? I've taught this many times. I'll give you a euro if you know. You know what that means for the believer, right? God gets all the glory. We get all the joy. God in His glory is our joy. That's what He's saying here. It's all about God. It's for His name's sake. And I get the joy. I get the intimacy with God. I get the love affair with 
God. God is at work in all things to display His glory for the joy of His people. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. The image here is of the shepherd purposely taking his sheep through a hard place. A treacherous place. A dangerous place. The obvious question is, why does the shepherd take his sheep through a hard place? The, obviously, the, the obvious answer is what? To take them to a better place. You know, when the hard thing comes, God hasn't abandoned you. God is in the middle of it. And God's going to bring you through. He's not going to leave you in that place. Did you, read the, did you see the text? I'm walking through the valley with my God. He takes us through the valley to get us to a deep to, to, to get us to a better place. What's the better place? Brand new intimacy with him I've never known before. A deeper trust that I've never I never thought I could attain to, a greater faith I never thought I would achieve. Because God has shown me himself in a deeper and more profound way. Beloved, don't Run from the hard things. The hard things will come. The Bible's clear. The hard, whether you're a believer or not, the hard things are going to come. They just do in this fallen world. But for the unbeliever, it's, waste, it's just wasted pain. For the believer, God's redeeming it. And God's doing something in it. David's not throwing out cliches here in the hard place. He says, I fear not. My God is sovereign in every aspect of the valley of the shadow of death. My God is bigger than every aspect of the valley of the shadow of death. He draws nearer to His people in the valley. He just does. How many guys did Nebuchadnezzar throw in the fire? Anybody remember? Three? How many did he see in the fire? Who was the other guy? <laughs> Jesus Christ. He comes to His people. He comes to His people in the hard place. Brand new intimacy for uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think, that were their names. God says in Isaiah 54.10, For the mountains may be moved and the hills may shake, but My loving kindness will not be removed from Amen? What a great God. Verse 5, Thou dost prepare a table before Me in the presence of Mine enemies. Thou hast anointed My head with oil. My cup overflows. Just two important biblical truths in this verse. First, I see, and you guys know this, that a godly man will have enemies. It just, it's just part of the deal. We don't want enemies. We don't seek to make enemies. We don't like to have enemies. I probably have some, and I hate it. I wish they weren't my enemies. You never know what an enemy's going to do. You never know how far an enemy will go. A godly man will have enemies. Jesus says, the world hated me, it will hate you. So don't be shocked when you're out there in the world and you're really living uh, the Gospel and you're preaching the Gospel and you're, you're sharing Jesus. Don't be shocked that you will make enemies. And that people will have ill will towards you and they will seek to do the worst they can against you. This is part of being 
a Christian. Jesus has warned us. But secondly, did you notice, in the midst of these enemies, God prepares a banquet for us. <laughs> you know, it's like, do the worst you can. Right? <laughs> I'm at a banquet with my Father. Yeah, I, I know how it is. Enemies, they are troubling. And they disturb our spirit. But God is challenging us in this, in this psalm to feast on Him when the enemies attack. Feast on God. This is, how, this is what we learned in, was it 2 Peter or 1 Peter? I forget. I think it's 1 Peter. When they land on us, when the persecution comes, what? What are we supposed to do? Give a blessing. You know how you can give a blessing to someone who's persecuting you? You know how you can do it? By feasting on God. It's the only way it's possible. It's the only way it's possible. Matthew 10.28 Do not fear those who can merely kill the body. Right? So we don't fear man. All he can do is kill the body. Who's, who was with Stephen during the stoning? Who was with Stephen? Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Right? Standing to receive His first martyr. Verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow Me all the days of My life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this verse. I love that first word. Surely. Do you know it? Do you know that's true? Surely. Do you know that no one or no thing, no demon, no army of demons, Satan, nobody, can get between you and the surely? Do you know that? Surely. Goodness and loving kindness will follow me. Actually, the word literally better is pursue me. God is our pursuer. You've never pursued God until He came for you. God is the pursuer. God says goodness and loving kindness. Are they? He says it's a done deal in my children's lives. No one can stop it. Surely! <laughs> my, my goodness and loving kindness pursue my children even on the hard day. Right? Romans 8.28 is always true. It's never not true. If you ever doubt Romans 8.28, call me and I'll preach to you. You ought to be able to preach to yourself. But if you can't preach to yourself, you call me, I'll preach to you. Romans 8.28. If you don't know that verse, I'm purposely not telling you, so you'll go look it up. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here is perfect. God, Your beauty and Your love chase after me every day. Come on. <laughs> are you are you seriously? <laughs> You're not gonna live this huge? You're not gonna go out in the world and live this huge? God's goodness and loving kindness chase after you every day, even on the hard day. We'll say even more closely on the hard day. He's even closer. On that day. If we have license, if we believe this about God, and I pray that we all do. We have license to live Luke chapter 12. We don't have to be anxious about anything. And we don't have to worry like the world worries. Our God is God. He's got every key. He's got every single key. 
And He has all the authority. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Luke 12.32 For your Father has chosen gladly to be miserly with you. Right? God gives us everything. That's what I said earlier. The cosmos is ours. It's all ours. God has given it to us. It's our inheritance. Not only God, but everything God's created, it's ours in Christ Jesus. Beloved, it's ours. It's like my dad. <laughs> he was God of the athletic department of North Little Rock High School. And I was his son. And he had every key and all the authority. Beloved, that's the point I'm trying to make about God, about your God tonight. I want you to know it. I don't, want you, I, don't, I, don't, I don't just want you to know it. I want you to love it. And I want you to embrace it. And I want you to live it. I want you to live it. In talking to the people of God, the Holy Spirit says, for all things belong to you. You know this, right? All things belong to you, whether uh, of the world or of life or of death or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. If you don't know that verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. In other words, there are no locked doors for my sons and my daughters. I have the key. I don't know what your challenge is. I don't know what your problem is. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, He's got the key Romans 8.15, again, the message paraphrase. I just love this so much, I have to read it to you again. This resurrection life you've received from God, it's not a timid grave-tending life, right? We're not a timid people. We're not just hanging around waiting to die. This life, this resurrection life, it's adventurously expectant. That's what I want you to remember. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? <laughs> so, yeah, and, I, and I'm going to close with the verse I read to you last week because I love it so much. Uh, it's just, yeah, it gets me jazzed. Isaiah 43, 1-3. We're, we're done. But now says the Lord, the God who made you, your Creator, do not For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. Nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, I am your Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I'm in awe. <laughs> I'm in awe of who You are. And I am in awe of the license that gives me as Your Son. Forgive me, Father, when I entertain anxiety and fear. Forgive me, Father, when I shrink back. Forgive me, Father, when I'm timid before my enemies. 
Forgive me, Father, that I have, I have forgotten this, this, this truth that thunders through all Scripture. You are chasing after us. Your loving kindness and goodness chases after us every day. The cosmos is ours. Every good thing is ours. You have the key and the authority to give it, and you have given it to us. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us, Lord. When we forget these things and we let the world worry us and distract us and confuse us, may we always remember the truths that You have shared with us here in the 23rd Psalm. We can live well and die well. And as David says, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I think we'll just dismiss. It's a little after seven. I hope you'll grab on to what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Live huge, die well. You can because God is who He is. Have a great week. God bless.